You are listening to the podcast of Open Life Church. We are located in Bonnie Lake, Washington, and meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at Bonnie Lake High School. Thank you for taking the time to download our podcast or visit our message archive page at livinglifeopen.com. If you are visiting us on our message archive, I just want to make you aware of two things. First, there's a link just above the audio display where you can download our fill-in-the-blank handout. And second, after you're done listening, we would love for you to follow the link on the upper right side of the page that says Let's Connect. Here you can tell us a little bit about yourself or tell us something that we can pray with you about. Feel free to give us as much or as little information as you'd like. Wherever and however you are listening to us today, we are excited you are here and we hope you enjoy it. Now here's today's speaker. Today what we're going to be talking about is we're talking about the disciples and how they were people that chose to follow Jesus. And, and it's interesting to see because we're going to look at how Jesus kind of interacted with the situation that comes up. And it's just like a, it's an interruption, but it's also, again, what we, I hope that you look at the connections between the different stories that we've been reading together. If, like, if you read from the beginning of Luke, and now we're in Luke 9, and, you know, and eventually we're going to be at Luke 24 one of these days. But to see the connections that the author, Luke, had when writing the book. And how he points certain things out. And how he uses certain words. And how he just uses different phrases to explain things. So I hope as you're reading Luke and as you're going through, and maybe at home you've read through Luke already multiple times while we've been going through this. But hopefully you begin to see different connections that you've been able to draw out of the text and so one of the things that we're going to be talking about day, today is Jesus confronted with healing again. And once again, it's a, a man, and he's trying to find healing for his child, a son who's demon-possessed. And so we've talked about demon possessions two other times throughout this series. But one was back in May, um, and, we were t- and it was in part four of our series, uh, talking about uh, Jesus healing a demon-possessed person. And then back in September, in part eight of what we were going through, uh, we talked about how Jesus um, delivered the demons, I am legion, from the one guy and put him into the pigs. And so if you weren't here on those days and you have no idea what I was talking about, I'm not going to go over all the same points that we went through for those two series, but I encourage you to go to livinglifeopen.com and go to our message archive. It's under the resources tab, but you can go on there. And then what's really cool is you can listen just to those messages. And then even if you want, you can fill out a connection card and say, hey, I, I, list, I listen to it online. So if you ever miss a Sunday, you can do that and you can still be a part. You can still send us your prayer request. Say, hey, you know, I wasn't there on Sunday, but, you know, would you guys pray for this? And so it's a cool way to keep in step with what we're going through, especially through Luke when, you know, this week connects with what we were talking about last week. And when Thad talks next week, you're going to see some connections through the way the disciples acted in this story as well. And so if if you miss the connections, then you miss something out of the Word. And so I'd encourage you to stay up with that. Um, If you have time, I like to listen to random podcasts while I'm doing random things. And so sometimes I don't catch everything, but I catch enough of it to where it's worth my time to listen to those things. So let's jump into the text. We're in Luke 9, 37 through 45. And the, the cool part about the story is this is right after the transfiguration, which Thad talked about last week. And so the verses go in verse 37. It says, The next day, so Jesus, Peter, James, and John are returning from their time of seeing 
that mir- miraculous thing that they saw last week when we were when we were talking about it. But seeing Moses and Elijah, and so they're coming down the mountain. And so the verse goes: the next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, "Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child." A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that, it's, that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and it is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. So Jesus said, you unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus said, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them. So they did not grasp it. And they are afraid to ask him about it. So there's some things to kind of gain from those things, obviously. And what I'd encourage you to do is we're going to look at the different people of the story. We're going to look at Jesus's reaction. We're going to look at the disciples. We're going to look at the perspective of the man. But when you're reading the word, look at how, like what I just love to do is just imagine that I'm in that moment, that I'm the different characters of the story. What would I be thinking in those situations? And so we're going to hit on three main points today. And the first is just Jesus is healing the boy. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at why Jesus was upset with the disciples. And third, we're going to look at what Jesus wanted the disciples and ultimately what he wants us to put our faith in. Jesus has these ideas and he's trying to teach his disciples these things. And so the first point, and we're going to hit it really fast because we've hit it both in our last two times of talking about demon possession. And I don't mean to glean over, just run past it really quick because it's a really important thing to realize. But the first point is Jesus has authority over Satan. We've talked about it before in the other stories of demon possession, but Jesus has authority over Satan. And if you haven't noticed, there's always this constant struggle. There's light and then there's darkness. You have Jesus and you have Satan. You have the good team and you have the bad team. You have the Seahawks and you have the Carolina Panthers. You know, so, but, like, that's what's going on here, is this light versus darkness. Jesus has authority over all of it, so it's like, to him, it's like, I'm just going to cast this out. And the thing that he, Jesus does so often, is he gives the disciples that same authority. He says, if you have faith in me, if you are following me, then you can do this too. You can do anything in my name. You can cast out demons. You can heal the sick. You can heal blind people if you have faith in me and do it under my authority. And so there's this constant struggle between darkness and light. And so if you think about the perspective of this man, it's, this is his only son. This is his only son. And in that culture, this would be a big deal because the sons would come up and provide for the family as they grow older. And so what this guy is realizing is like, this is my only child. This is my only son. Eventually, I changed his diapers. He's going to have to change my diapers. And it's like, if, if he doesn't grow up, I, what am I going to do? But what's he going to do? And so just like all of us, even on Friday when, we, when you guys had that frantic moment of like, oh, another school shooting, like when our children are attacked, we get really defensive. We want to know what's going on. We want to do everything in our power to protect our children. 
protect the people that we're in care over. And that's what's going on in this man's head. And so, it, not to glance over the, the part, because we've talked about it before, but Jesus has power over Satan. And the man realized it, and he took it as a time to say, you know what? Just like a lot of other stories we've talked about, people who've waited their whole lives to be healed, people who have tried everything in their power under their own authority to try and heal their kids, it's like we have to realize that Jesus has authority to heal. Jesus has authority over Satan, over darkness. He's light, and when, dark, when light comes into darkness, darkness, it's not like darkness can overtake light. Light always overtakes darkness. And so it, it excites me and it encourages me that Jesus has power, power over Satan and the ability to bring mess or peace to messy situations. That Jesus can take just situations that we look at and say, you know what? No amount of work that I do is going to bring redemption to this story in this person's life. Nothing I'm going to do is going to make that person change. Nothing that I do in my power, I'm just in a hurt, a world of hurt. Sometimes we're in those situations. You're like, what can I do that's going to get me out of this? What I love about Jesus, and because of his authority, is that he redeems those situations. He turns those situations into lost causes and turns them into situations that have purpose, that have light, and things that we can tell about and be encouraged about. And for me, like Thanksgiving and Christmas time, the holiday season, that's when I'm just like excited to give thanks to God for his authority in my life. It's a time where, you know, like my family is the one that always goes around the table. What are you thankful for? And like, you know, the first person always wants to go first because you say, Jesus, Jesus. And it's like, oh, of course you're going to say that. But it's so true. This holiday season, like we're into November. I counted it. There's like nine Sundays until Christmas. That's like, that's soon. That's fast. But I'm just like, man, let's even begin to prepare our hearts right now for the Thanksgiving season. And one of the ways that Open Life celebrates Thanksgiving and just being thankful for where we are at in the city is through the Big Give. And so I'd encourage you to think about giving to the Big Give, volunteering at the Big Give, praying for the Big Give. We love your prayers just to begin to, you know, help people's hearts just to for some people, it's a struggle to even accept a holiday meal. And that's what the Big Give is all about. We all meet at Walmart parking lot, and we just hand out free Thanksgiving meals to people. people. But for some, it's a struggle to say, do I really want to go and get a free meal? But I pray that it would just be a time of celebration, of just Thanksgiving, of people helping other people, of communities joining together, of Bonnie Lake joining with Sumner, of grocery stores, Walmart, so we're helping us up here, Fred Myers helping them down there, of the community, of nonprofits, of people giving, businesses, everyone just coming together and saying, you know what, there's not going to be a family in Bonnie Lake or Sumner that needs a Thanksgiving meal that's not going to get it. And for me, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for open life. I'm thankful for living hope down in Sumner that we're able to do those things. And so as we look at this story, we, we know that Jesus has authority over Satan. But I think the hinge of the story and the point that we want to get out is Jesus' mentality when he's talking to his disciples. And think about it. He says, the man, he comes up to Jesus and says, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. 
And if you think about it, that question is what makes this story unique to other stories. Because it, it kind of demands a response from Jesus. Because right after that, his, this is where Jesus says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. How long am I going to have to put up with you? If, if, that, if, the, if the man just says, you know what, Jesus, can you heal my son? Then it's just a normal story. The man comes to Jesus, someone in need comes to Jesus, finds healing. And it's, just, it's a story we celebrate and we cherish and say, you know what, again, Jesus is powerful. Jesus has authority. But this story is different because the man's like, you know what, I tried to take my son to the disciples, but they couldn't drive out the demon. And so Jesus, that's, that's the hinge of this story. And that's what we're going to get a lot of what we're talking about today. But Jesus is like, how long shall I stay with you? How long am I going to put up with you? And that's not really the message that you want to be hearing if you're one of the disciples. If you're one of the disciples, wouldn't you want to be hearing Jesus saying, you know what, disciples, I'm so amazed by your faith that you were able to heal that boy under my authority. Like, if, that's the, if you're the disciples, you want to be hearing those kind of encouragements. Disciples, since you've walked with me and you know me, you know what I do, you know my teachings, you were able to go and do this. Congratulations, great job. But that's not what happened. And the disciples here, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long must I stay with you? How long must I put up with you? And you got to be thinking the disciples are just, you know, what is going on? We just really screwed this up. And so if you look at the two other stories, in, in the books of Matthew and Mark, the ones before Luke, this same story is told in those, but just with different details, um, some with more detail. But I want to look at those ones just really quick, because in Matthew, the disciples, there's this interaction after the miracle, and they say, they're like, Jesus, how come we weren't able to do this? How come we weren't able to heal it? And so in, in the book of Matthew— uh, Jesus says, it's because you disciples had so little faith. That's just what he says, three words. You had so little faith. And then in Mark 9, what Jesus said, his reply is that this kind of spirit can only come out by prayer. And so any way you look at this story now, we're, we're, we read it in Luke 9, but any way you look at it, it's kind of disheartening when you look at the disciples because you would think by now, they would have been able to have enough faith to drive out the demon. Or you would have think that they would have prayed to drive out the demon. If I'm in that situation, I'm praying like the whole time. I'm like, God, I cannot do this, but Lord, work through me somehow. You know, I'm like, like just do this. But the disciples, that's what Jesus said. He says, like, these only come out by prayer. You have so little faith. And so imagine being a follower of Jesus in this story. Imagine being a disciple, that you're literally walking with Jesus. You've seen what Jesus has done in the way he seals sicknesses, how he's delivered people from demons. Even James, John, and Peter, you think about that, the, the experience they just had on the mountainside, seeing Elijah and Moses with Jesus and God speaking. And you're like, still, you don't have faith to drive out demons. Still, you don't have faith to even pray and ask for God to heal the demons out of this person. And so I hope that after seeing all that Jesus has done, if a man came up to me, if I'm in this situation, I hope I would be able to say, you know what? I've seen Jesus do miracles. I know he has authority. I know I can pray, and in Jesus' name, I can cast this out. And, so, and it goes to our second point, is that being amazed by God 
is not enough. Having faith is what matters most. And this week I did a lot of kind of soul searching and how I like look at the disciples. Because if you're like me, I think we think that it must have been really easy for the disciples just to believe in Jesus. Like we think, how could you not believe in Jesus if you were walking with him and just living your life with him? How could you not have faith? And we always pile on the, all the disciples for some of the dumb questions they ask sometimes. We, we make fun of Peter, just like we did last week. Like, when he says stuff he doesn't understand, he says things he, don't, he doesn't mean. And, but what I begin to realize is, like, I'm a disciple. Even though I think that sometimes I have this great faith sometimes, there's those times in my life where I'm like, you know what? I just am not cutting it. And that's where it's like cool to hear that voice of Jesus saying, you know what? Just have faith in me and I'll walk you through these situations. And if you look at it, Jesus is trying to instill in the disciples after the story. He's saying, you know what? Like, listen very carefully. You know, I kind of rebuked you before, but now listen to this. He says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. It's kind of a play on words. The Son of Man is the title Jesus used for himself to kind of show that he is God, but he's also a man too. And so the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And Jesus had already told them about this in Luke 9, 20 through 22, earlier in the book that we're reading right now. But he says, but what about you? He's talking to Peter, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So he's told them this before. He's told the disciples now two times in this chapter that we've been looking at in the past couple weeks, saying, you know what? I'm going to be delivered. But he doesn't say I. He says the Son of Man. He says the Son of Man is going to be delivered in the hands of men. He's going to die, and three days later, he's going to be raised to life. But for whatever reason, it just did not click with the disciples. They just didn't get it. It went way over their heads. And so this idea of having a true and real faith in Jesus, and not just being amazed by what he does, must have been a really hard concept for the disciples to grasp. They're supposed to have faith. They see all these wonderful and wondrous and amazing things. They marveled at it. The scripture says that people marveled at what Jesus is doing, and they are amazed by his teaching. But then Jesus lumps them into the unbelieving and perverse generation. So let's look at the, the journey that the disciples take from here. We're going to look at just a few verses, but kind of look at the transformation that the disciples had. In Luke 24, the last book of Luke, this is what happens. Jesus lives his life. He, he dies on the cross. And then three days later, he, he rises from the grave. And so he meets with the disciples again. And this is Luke 24, 44 through 49. And so this is what Jesus is telling the disciples. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So in Luke 9, where we were at, Jesus is telling them, 
basically what he just tells them later in Luke 24. But he's saying, you know what, you guys, in Luke 9, you know what, I'm going to be delivered to the hands of men. The disciples didn't get it. So we fast forward to Luke 24, what we just read. And Jesus is telling him in all his glory now, you know, he's, he is God like on the earth so plainly. And he's telling him, this is the fulfillment of law that everything that I told you when I was with you has come to pass. And if you didn't have faith in me before, if you were the unbelieving and perverse generation before, please believe in me now because I died and I've risen again. And it's time for you to have faith in me. And like that's encouraging for me because that's the moment that we all have to have faith in. Is that Jesus died, that he rose again. That's where we find our faith. And that's when the Spirit comes into us. And Jesus said, said it to the disciples. He said, you know what? Go back to the city and wait for the gift that I have for you. He says, then you be clothed with power from on high. And so if you're confused what that means, it's not like a type of clothing. It's not like, oh, what are you wearing? Well, this is um, power, and it's made by on high. You know, it's not like this, like, it's not like a fashion statement. It's not like, well, I'm wearing power, and it's from on high. No, it's, this is like Jesus saying, you know what? You're going to be clothed with power. Power is going to surround you, and you're going to be able to do things you weren't able to do before. You're going to be able to live a life that's holy because you have the Spirit living inside of you. And so it's like, and it it's, can be very confusing. It can be a lot to grasp. And we'll probably do a huge series on the Holy Spirit after we talk about Luke. But Romans eight fourteen through 17, Paul writes this book. And he kind of explains what living with the Spirit is like. And he says it in a beautiful way. And this is 8, 14 through 17. He says, For those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought, out, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, it is the Holy Spirit that brings about relationship that we have with Jesus. And so when we choose to put our faith in Jesus, when we choose to follow him, the Spirit comes in us, and that's when we can come before God and say, Abba, Father. That's what Paul's saying. You know what? This is the most intimate title of God to have, where you can actually call God your Father. Where you can say, you know what? I'm going through stuff. Would you come and be my Father through this? Would you guide me through this? Would you help me live a holy life? Would you help me conquer these things in my life? Would you help me be an encouragement to people? Would you help me bring people into relationship with you? Because it's not my power. It's not my authority that can do that. It's the Spirit that gives us authority to be like Jesus. And so to recap, we have God sending Jesus to earth. We have Jesus living his life perfectly. We have him dying on the cross. Three days later, he rises again. And so then he says, I'm going to send my Spirit to you. And so the disciples, if you look at them, in Luke 9, what we were reading, they're the unbelieving and perverse generation. But then by Luke 24, he's saying, understand this now, I'm here, believe in me. And like, that's the coolest part for me, to see that transformation, because it's the same transformation I go through. And you know, you see it in the disciples after it. 
Peter writes a book, and in 2 Peter 1.16, he writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. That's Peter talking. The guy that puts his foot in his mouth over and over. He's saying, you know what? I was there with Jesus. I was on that mountainside. I saw Moses and Elijah, and I heard God talk to me. I didn't understand what it all meant then, obviously. But I'm eyewitness to what Jesus did. And so this, for us, this is where faith comes in. Because we're not eyewitnesses. I wasn't, I wasn't there 2,000 years ago. If I was, I look pretty good, I'd say, you know. But uh, I wasn't there. But I have faith that these scriptures are true. I have faith in Jesus, that he died and that he rose again. And so what does faith mean? Hebrews 11 one says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. My hope and longing is for Jesus. So I put my faith in him. And I didn't see Jesus like the disciples did, but that's what faith is. Which leads us to point three, and that's we need to trust in what Jesus has already done for us. And the worship team can come up. But Jesus had a following of people. But when push came to shove, we read in the story, Luke 9, the story of Jesus having to cast out the demons because the disciples couldn't do it. When push came to shove, the disciples didn't have enough faith to cast out the demon. And so for us, I think we can relate to that sometimes. Maybe you've come to open life, you've come to church in the past, and you've experienced Jesus, but you still, maybe you would say, I still don't really get it fully. And what I would encourage you with is that Jesus already did the work. Jesus already came and died on the cross and rose again. And they're like, that's what we need to put our faith in. And so many times I think we have this view of God as like, I'll follow you, God, but only if some cool things happen in my life. You know, I'm, I'll bring my kids to church. I'll let them have like this great role model and teaching and so they can learn how to, you know, live good lives and be good people. I want that for my kids. Um, but you know what? I'm not going to take this step to follow Jesus. I just, you know, I want them to be exposed to things. Or people come and you know what? Like, maybe I don't really understand this, but I'm just going to come because I feel like it's a positive experience for people. And I think that's what the disciples were after. They're, they're excited because Jesus is doing things. He's healing people. He's healing the sick. He's, his teaching is a little bit different. They're intrigued. They're amazed and they marveled. That's what the scriptures said. But when push came to shove, they didn't have faith. They didn't know how to pray to heal the boy. And so my prayer today is that we realize that the important thing is that Jesus died for us that he rose again, and he's calling all of us into his presence. And for me, that's the biggest miracle. That's the coolest thing of it all, is that we serve a God who suffered and died for us, sent his son to die, and then like that's who I get to worship. 
because I've seen God do amazing things. I've seen God work in people's lives. And oftentimes the things don't matter because they turn away from God. But the ones that have been steadfast are the ones that say, through thick and thin, I'm gonna trust and believe in who Jesus is and what he did. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell you, the disciples in this story. You unbelieving and perverse generation, would you just have faith? Would you just pray? Would you be my son? The Holy Spirit, what we read is that the Holy Spirit comes and that's how we know we are in sonship, that we are adopted into the family of Jesus. And so 2,000 years later, do we find ourselves feeling like we're an unbelieving and perverse generation? The word perverse means contrary to what would be expected. And so for people who've seen God work, who've seen him do amazing things, for people who know who Jesus is, to not have faith in him, that's pretty perverse. It's contrary to what you'd expect. And so my prayer would be, that we'd be a community of Jesus followers that see Jesus do amazing things in our lives, but ultimately one that's rooted and steadfast in knowing what Jesus has already done for us, his sacrifice. And so action steps today, what can we take from this? And the first is walk in authority. Jesus has authority over everything in your life, And sometimes it's us who needs to submit ourselves to his authority and say, God, this is my life. Do what you would with it. And then it takes steps. It takes action. It takes things going on. So whatever that is for you guys, whatever God is calling you to do, I encourage you to do that. And the second one is choose to pray. The story in Mark that we talked about, the same story we read, but uh, Jesus goes to the man and says, you know what, well, do you believe? And the, the man says, yeah, I believe if you can do this. And Jesus is like, if you can. And then the man says, well, I, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. And so many times I think we need help with our unbelief in areas of our lives where we just wouldn't say we believe completely who Jesus is and that he died and rose again. You know, that's where I want. I want to pray to be a man of faith. I want to pray to be the person that trusts in who Jesus is. And finally, the third action step is just a simple one, but it's just prepare for the big give. And what I would love for you guys to do is just to begin to pray that all the details, all the partnerships that would come together, that they would just be sound and that that there would just be this like touch of God's hand on the entire situation. That, that the big give would just be this awesome event for the community. And so I'm just going to pray really quick. But just think about that. How can we be people that follow in the footsteps of Jesus that really truly believe in his sacrifice for us? God, we just come before you and we just thank you for the stories that you have in scripture of you, you know, rebuking disciples, God. And I thank you for grace and for mercy that I've never been rebuked like that by you where You just come out and call someone an unbeliever, God. But I pray, Lord, that we would learn from the disciples in this situation, God, that we would choose to look at their lives and say, you know what, I want my life to look at that. This transformation of turning from unbelieving to being a person of faith, someone who could just say, you know what, I was an eyewitness to Jesus. And I pray that our faith would be so strong 
that it would be as if we were eyewitnesses, God, to those moments of you just working powerfully in our lives, God. Let us be the eyewitnesses to our community, the people that share, the people that, that bring more people into your presence, God. Show us how we can do that. Show us how we can trust in you. And I pray, Lord, that you would guide us as we walk in that, God. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's talk. If you have a question about what you've heard today or if you have a need we can pray with you about, feel free to click on the Let's Connect or Need Prayer button on the upper right side of the message archive page. Or if you're listening on iTunes, you can always email info at livinglifeopen.com. If you'd like to join in the mission of Open Life with a financial gift, you can give online at livinglifeopen.com by following the Giving tab and clicking Give Now. We're excited you took the time out of your busy week to listen to our talk. But have you ever thought about visiting us on a Sunday morning? We meet at 10 a.m. each Sunday at Bonnie Lake High School. We would love to see you on a Sunday, and then you can put a face to the voice you've been hearing online. Finally, stay up to date with everything Open Life by visiting livinglifeopen.com following us on Twitter, or liking us on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy the rest of your day and week.